This is Joe and TJ from the Schoolhouse 302, and you're listening to our Focus Ed podcast. Focus Ed is your educational leadership podcast. In every episode, it's our mission to focus on one aspect of teaching and leading in school so that you can make progress in your district, school, or classroom with even more knowledge, better understanding, and a clear direction on what to do next for your students and staff. In each show, we ask an expert guest to join us and we dissect their work and tons of other information about leading better and growing faster in schools. We're only doing 14 episodes per school year and we hope you'll listen to all 14. The guest list is incredible. Don't miss a single show and do us a favor. Please like, share and follow Focus Ed on SoundCloud, iTunes and our website, theschoolhouse302.com. And now for another episode of Focus Ed. In this episode, of Focus Ed, we have Connie Hamilton with us to focus on questioning techniques and how schools can move to a culture of inquiry. We think you'll find it fun and informative. Connie Hamilton is the co-author of Hacking Homework and the author of her new book, Hacking Questions, 11 Answers That Create a Culture of Inquiry in Your Classroom. She's a consultant and presenter, but still serves as a curriculum director in the same school district where she has worked for the past 13 years, Saranac Community Schools in the state of Michigan. We hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to like, share, and follow. You can always get more by following the schoolhouse302.com. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by TeacherFit. TeacherFit is an on-demand health, wellness, and fitness program designed specifically for educators. TeacherFit offers program options for school districts, schools, and individual teachers. We know schools that are using TeacherFit, and it's a great way to promote healthy habits and a mindfulness for your staff. If you care about your people, you'll get TeacherFit today. If you sign up because you heard it here, we would love to hear from you. Also, when we present, we use Pear Deck. Pear Deck is designed to help teachers create powerful learning moments for students of every age and ability with tech solutions rooted in sound pedagogical practice and formative assessment. Founded by educators, Pear Deck makes it easy for teachers to create and distribute interactive presentations from within Google Slides, Microsoft PowerPoint, and Microsoft Teams. Because you're listening to Focus Ed, you get a free 90-day premium trial. Go to the schoolhouse302.com and click on the Pear Deck link embedded in the show notes for this episode. You'll get an automatic upgrade without needing a credit card or anything else to sign up. Please enjoy. Here we are with our guest, Connie Hamilton. Thank you for joining us today on Focus ED, Connie. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Okay, Connie, so let's jump right in. You wrote a book called Hacking Questions. Please tell us why you wrote the book, what it's about, what it means to have a culture of inquiry in a school, and maybe what educators can take from it. Let's focus on questioning and a culture of inquiry in schools. Tell us all about it. All right. Well, I I wrote the book um, because I have been focusing on looking at building the questioning capacity in my own school, school district for a number of years. And from that kind of came opportunities here and there to 
share some of our discoveries and our successes in growing the capacity of our teachers with schools in our area. And from there, it just kind of spread. And I had been doing professional development for schools in a lot of places around questioning and pulling in the work of a lot of, a lot of different authors. And in the professional development components that I have been sharing with schools, one of the pieces is going into classrooms and supporting teachers of using what they learn in a workshop with actual kids in their actual classrooms with their actual curriculum. And through that experience, I have been able to really get a lot of clarity on what some of the habits are of most teachers and some of the things that we unintentionally do that may put a barrier in between the, where the learner is and where we want the learner to go. And so it was really through those coaching roles that I played that I was able to see how we could take some of the things that we're already doing, not reinvent the wheel, but just tweak it a little bit to get a bigger bang for the buck. And so this book is really about the, the act of questioning as a verb, and it's less focused on the noun of what the question is. So it's really more about the delivery and the instructional methodology of playing with questions and, and delivering questions in the classroom. So that's kind of a pretty good overview. Thank you, Connie. A follow-up to that, and most of the audience uh, tonight or this afternoon are administrators, and I'm sure they would agree 100% that the transfer from PD and what they learn and what they've taught to their teachers and getting that in the classroom, there's a definite gap. Um, I like what you said about unintentional barriers. What would be the most sound advice you could give them um, to close that gap, particularly with the focus on questioning? And it's interesting, and this is why TJ was really adamant about having you on as our first guest. Questioning is the number one thing in the state of Delaware um, that's rated the lowest on our observation forms. So when our, when our administrators are going around, um, that's being rated the lowest. So we know it's important. Um, what would be that practical advice to help with the transfer, specifically around improving the level of questioning um, for the learner? Well, it's really about creating keen observation skills and really diagnosing where the teacher's strengths are in questioning and then where there's room for next steps. So um, if you have a teacher, for example, that maybe asks lots of questions in a row and doesn't provide wait time for, for students to ponder those questions, then making sure that we can provide concrete evidence to say this is what I observed this is the time for the wait time and and then here's a specific strategy of how you can increase your wait time count to five in your head set a timer um, repeat the answer in your own brain three times before you call on somebody all of those are just small little strategies to assist teachers in being able to increase wait time there's not a teacher on the planet that doesn't know that they should 
have good wait time. They all know that. And, and many of them are very aware that they don't have wait time. But um, when we're pressed for time, that is usually what goes and we rush through a lesson. And what happens when we rush through a lesson is that then we have to do a lot more scaffolding and a lot more spoon feeding for kids, which then ultimately eats up more time, but it turns into teacher talk time, not student think time. So we trade student think time for teacher talk time unintentionally because we think we're hurrying through the unit, but it causes us to have to support more because we're going too fast. That's phenomenal. Thank you, Connie. I love the practical strategies. Um, I've never heard somebody say just count in your own head, and I've been doing this well over a couple decades, so um, very practical. Um, let's ask a, a, a different question. What's your favorite resource to support teaching, learning, or leadership in schools? Hmm. My favorite resource. Um, you know, the, I, I get, I don't know if this is kind of a, if a hop out kind of answer, but Twitter is really amazing for me. Um, I say to people that haven't really captured the power of Twitter, you know, those people that are still using it just to vote for the next American Idol and, and really don't know how to use it <laughs> beyond that. Uh, I used to, back in the day, be really proud of my Rolodex. And I would say, if I don't have an answer, for you right now, uh, by golly, I know somebody that I can call and I can get an answer for you by the end of the week. And now I feel like if there's something that I don't know, I, I know who to ask or I know what hashtag to use. And if I don't have a reply in three or four minutes, I'm retweeting with a new hashtag and tagging new people. And the resources that I get are a lot richer than just a single conversation that I used to be able to have on the telephone. So, um, it's a diverse resource because I'm not limited to, oh, here's a book on instructional practices and, and here's a book on building relationships and here's a book on leadership um, or here's a blogger that, whose expertise is in the area of feedback for teacher evaluations. Um, it, it, there's people on Twitter that are experts in all of those things. And so it's, it's like having your best friend with you all the time, I guess, or expert in your back pocket or whatever analogy. I'm sure I could think of something with a little better, a little more time, but uh, it's, Twitter's amazing. Very cool, awesome uh, solution for a lot of our problems right there in your back pocket. Thank you for sharing that. We'll get the folks uh, in the room and also any other listeners on Twitter. So there you have it from Connie. Join Twitter and Connie Hamilton can be your first person that you follow. She's an expert and she'll reply to your hashtag. You, you do hashtag hacking cues, correct? Correct, yes. Awesome. So um, a question that we like to ask uh, our guests is, is there anybody outside of education who you follow, either on Twitter or books that you read um, that leaders or that teachers can follow um, who they might not have readily available on their teacher education programs, etc.? Uh, I would say the most recent read that I had that was um, really brought in my perspective is uh, Brene Brown, um, Dare to Lead. That was an amazing book for me, both from her being a female perspective and looking at it through that lens, but also just 
the vulnerability that she shares is something that all of the readers can really relate to. And it's written in a very raw and genuine perspective. So it's not like, hey, I got, I got it all going on and you're reading this going, okay, you know, good for you. But it, she's just very authentic. And, and I think maybe I connect to it with something that you mentioned earlier about just being a practitioner and having really practical things that you can use. It's not just, oh, get better at questioning or you really need to increase your wait time but not offering ways to actually make that happen. So, so many times people kind of state the obvious and you're going, well, yeah, I know that that's what I want to do, but I don't know how to do it. So that's, she was able to provide some of those leadership snags for me to help me kind of look at things a little differently and, and approach challenges in a new way. Connie, would you mind diving into that a little more when you say, you know, approach challenges in new ways. Do you have like a specific example? And the reason we want to probe a little bit there, Brene Brown has come up, I don't know how many times, TJ? A half a dozen times. And so I At think our, our, in our other podcast, our One Thing series, and this, we interview also a lot of business people, um, Brene Brown continues to come up, so she's making a huge impact. It's great. We have not had her on the show, but that's a challenge to TJ now that I throw to him. Um, let me know. Let me know if you get her. And by the way, I, and if she happens to listen now, I'll give her a little plug too because um, they're on. She has a bunch of resources that are specific to educators now. Yeah. So traditionally, she's in mostly just in the professional corporate world but um, really making an effort to connect to school leaders as well. So there are a lot of uh, resources on her website that are specific to schools and she's partnered up with some other folks um, to make that come to life. But um, I, I really, I think maybe it's also just my age. I mean, I've, I've been in administration. My, I had my very first administrative job when I was 29. So I was young administrator and I think at that time I was so naive and felt like and I looked very young too I'm and so I always felt like I had to kind of prove myself and and I wore my title like a badge of honor and kind of threw it around like well I'm the principal and that's why and learned a lot the hard way about <laughs> what is not effective in leadership and I actually had to leave that school district and get a fresh start someplace else because I, I had made so many mistakes, even though I had learned from them. Um, unfortunately, the mistakes were bestowed upon other people and there wasn't an opportunity really to create healing. And that was a hard thing for me to face is you know, there's, there's a lot of work to be made up here in in the mistakes that I have made in, in building relationships mostly. And so I took all of that with me and kind of literally, literally made a list of these are the things that I want to do. These are things that I don't want to do. And the biggest thing was, and getting back to your question about what I learned from Brene Brown is how to be vulnerable without being weak and using that vulnerability as a way to be transparent and bring others in and be a collaborative team instead of feeling like you have to do everything and know everything. 
you know, it's, it's like the, the whole old adage of you have to get all the right people on the bus. Well, I was kind of trying to drive the bus by myself and that just doesn't work. So um, just some of the strategies that she speaks about as far as establishing norms and, um, you know, having these kind of having rally meetings where you really kind of um, come together and get be very raw about what is happening and have direct conversations and make that an expectation that is welcomed, I, I suppose, and have positive things that come as a result of it. Thank you. I mean, it's incredibly insightful, but also very humble. So I, we appreciate you sharing that. And it's hard to recognize sometimes, you know, the things that we've done that have had negative impacts and so on. It's actually just a quick shout out to our Department of Education that's made a lot of this happen. You know, part of what we're doing right now is to help young, um, young in a position, administrators not make some of those easily made early mistakes. So we're, we're thankful for that. Um, another question, Connie, if there's a book you wish someone would write, a topic you're very interested in, something that you may be struggling with, but something you wish someone would write, what would it be? Hmm. I think what one of the things that is, is missing that I haven't been able to find is how do we, how do we ensure that we support some of our teachers who are, how do we support people who are successful? I guess there, there's a lot of emphasis on, on where you take mediocrity and, and make it good and where you take struggling learners or struggling teachers and support and improve them. But I think there's very few resources that are out there that allow great teachers to get the support that they deserve as well to continue to grow in their practice. And I think many leaders are comfortable with that because those great teachers are often very independent and they're go-getters and, and they seek to improve themselves. However, that it can be lonely to, to do that if you're, if you're doing that solo in a school. And so instead of like, hey, keep up the good work or, or my kudos to you is, ah, I don't have to worry about you. It's, so, it's nice to have somebody and you on my staff that I don't have to worry about it because you're always going to do awesome things. It, it doesn't provide the same level of supports for, for that population of people that also deserve it. So maybe something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's profound. So we all have those people on staff who are just superstars and we don't want to lose them. And we know the number one thing that can help to retain staff is to invest in them. So maybe something along the lines of invest in your best or something Ooh, like that, that. Uh, yeah, we can pitch that. I'm Ooh. writing it down. Yeah, write it down. Can I have that? Can I have that? I like uh, that. <laughs> of course you can. We can pitch it to uh, times 10 together. How, there you go. I know a few people there. I bet you do. <laughs> what have you seen anything that works though um, for investing in your best? Uh, is there any programming out there that you would say, "Hey, take a look at this," or even a conference? Like I've always thought, you know, let's take our best people and reward them in a way that's professional, but also brings it back to the classroom 
not necessarily in uh, hey we want you to go learn this and turn key it because I think that's just another burden that we put on our best people but is there anything that you would say like here's how you invest in your in your greatest teacher so that they can be even better but for them as a person as a profession um I I, I guess I would have like a multiple choice response to that I mean if you're looking at allowing them to network and connect with other educators, being able to attend a national conference, some of the bigger ones, you know, ASCD has one, Corwin has the annual visible learning conference, which is fantastic. Um, there are, there are big people that you admire your entire education career that are right in front of you. And you, you can hear from, from them directly and very often they're very accessible. You can have conversations with them. And, and it's very inspiring to just kind of be in the midst of all of that wisdom and, and like-minded thinkers. And there's a certain um, takeaway, I think, from getting outside your own state. So being in, in Michigan, um, Michigan's perspective on education is different out than other people outside of Michigan. And it wasn't until I started to leave Michigan that I, I had, I could tell like, what are some of the national issues that all educators face? And then what are some of the things that are specific to Michigan for one reason or another? And so being able to bucket that and really say, you know, this idea of MTSS, yeah, that's not new. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of states that have been doing it for oh, a decade now. <laughs> and uh, and so that idea really kind of can help people to kick into high gear when you have this perspective of ideas and initiatives that may seem new to you because everyone in your circle it's new to but when you get out to the rest of the world it's like oh dang you know, they're already revising it for the fifth time and and have you know reached a level of comfort in the system that they have and are are now just reaping the benefits and, and we're still rolling out the kinks making the same mistakes they made so that you know that's the first thing is being able to connect them with people outside of their own state you twitter can definitely do that but i think just those face-to-face -face conversations you can't beat building relationships being in close proximity with others um if that's not a possibility then creating opportunities for them to grow as practitioners and, and really some there are some simple things like micro teaching and you know for $500 or probably less than that now you could invest in a swivel and allow teachers to videotape themselves and observe themselves and and give feedback to themselves or one another and um, you, there's there's a difference in reflecting on a lesson that you delivered versus observing a lesson and reflecting on that, even if you delivered it. Um, your headspace is just in a different spot when you're actually teaching than when you're observing yourself teach. You can think about so many different things because when you observe yourself teach, you don't have to think about the kids and the management and what's coming next. You can really look at the instructional methods and how they are being received by your students. So, you know, those are some ways that I guess maybe not just your high, high achieving students or your highly effective teachers can benefit from, from that, but everyone can benefit from those types of strategies.
That's fantastic. And it's practical advice for any listener, anybody in the room. Let's couple that um, concept real quick and go back to hacking questions. And that's where we can kind of um, pivot the conversation is to say, so as you go around and see the progress that people are making and a decade's worth of work that might be new in one state, but is, is, is well underway in another, where do you see hacking questions? Where do you see questioning techniques and culture of inquiry making its most progress? And what do you think it is that folks in those districts are doing that, that we could replicate or that any listener might be able to put into practice? Well, um, hacking questions was just released last spring. So districts that are implementing, using it for PD and implementing are really just beginning. Most of them are just beginning this fall. So to be able to say, you know, who's implementing it well and um, seeing progress would be a little premature to actually say that from, from the book itself. On the flip side, I, I could answer that by saying the schools with whom I have worked um, while I was writing the book and the teachers that are highlighted in the book, there are a few school districts that I've been with for probably three, four years now and inspired a lot of the hack in actions that are there. Every, every chapter, side note, every chapter has a hack in action, which is a, a narrative of the theme behind the chapter in a successful scenario. So I just describe what it looks like in a great classroom. And every single one of those teachers are just everyday teachers that I have worked with. They're not, they're not rich and famous. They're, they're not, they're just everyday teachers that are doing an awesome thing. So in those districts, there's a pretty distinct difference between the teachers that are in the cohort and the teachers who have not been a part of the cohorts that we've been using. And so most of those districts are expanding their cohorts. And um, in the last school that I'm in, I think every middle school teacher has been in a cohort and you're talking, I don't know, maybe 180 teachers have been through a cohort over the past three or four years. So. Uh, yeah, that's probably about right, 180 teachers. So that's, that's pretty significant to bring all of those teachers through a process of some pretty intense peer observation structures. That's fantastic, Connie. We can't thank you enough for your time. Um, this has been just a great interview, lots of support, lots of nuggets of help for our listeners, for the studio audience today. We can't thank you enough. Is there anything else that you would like to add about hacking questions about any of your work or, or just something that um, you think leaders, uh, instructional leaders, school leaders or teachers should hear? Um, I guess I, the only thing that I would say is that I was, it, the, it, makes, it makes me happy that the theme that has surfaced here within this podcast is the practicality you know, you've said it a, a variety of different times, and that was something that was really, really important as I was writing it. So I wanted teachers and leaders to be able to pick it up and say, all right, if, if we're getting a lot of I don't know responses, here are a variety of strategies that we can implement immediately. We don't have to buy anything. We don't have to have a PD. We don't, you know, we don't have to get board approval. There are strategies that we can do right away and um, they're very specific. So it, it's, there's not a lot of philosophical 
flight. Um, it's grounded in good stuff, but um, there's a whole section in every chapter that's what you can do tomorrow. So it's, it, that piece was very important to me that it was practical for teachers. And so far that's, that's really the feedback that we've been getting is that there's a lot of strategies that can be used immediately. And there's not a lot of difficulty in transferring it to the classroom. And that's great. That's exactly what people want. Not a lot of difficulty transferring it into practice. So thank you, Connie. It's been a fantastic interview. You heard it here on Focus ED with Connie Hamilton, everybody. Thank you for being here. And don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and more. We're going to link everything back to Connie's work so that you can find her. You can find her work as well when you, you find us at Focus ED. Don't miss our next episode with uh, guest Adam Welcome. And until then, stay focused. Connie, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. crazy good wait time we can, we can use wait time you know connie i do have one follow-up did, did you dive into the technical aspects of questioning at all like the rigor so you talked a little bit about wait time and so on but did you get in and you know years ago i did a pd with my, when i was principal with my staff on a sales book and how salesmen ask very good questions to uncover what people are thinking versus when we typically ask students questions and they funnel to to what they want students to get to and so did you ever explore that like the technical aspects of rigorous questions and so on not in that terminology um but there's a, the whole chapter on scaffolding speaks to the difference between a prompt and a cue and this is something that most teachers are, well, most people think that prompts and cues are synonyms. And so to spell out specifically the difference between a prompt and a cue, um, so I'll give you an example. A prompt sends the learner back inside their head. And so it assumes that the learner has the answer in their head, they just don't know where to find it. And so a prompt is like, yoo-hoo, go looking for the answer, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> And so an example of that might be, well, what's a strategy you could use? Where do you want to start? What have you tried before? What is this asking you to do? Um, just those kinds of metacognitive questions are, are prompting questions. Cues are questions that are like, um, well, what, could you look at the word wall? Or what do your notes say? Or how about looking at the example on the board again? That might give you a hint. So the difference between a prompt and a cue is what happens with the student cognitively. If I say, what resources do you have to help you? The learner has to go, hmm, what resources do I have to help me? Let me think about that. Well, I have my notes. Maybe I could look at my notes. I look at my notes. Oh, bingo, that helps me. Now I can answer the question. If I am stuck and I say, teacher, I'm stuck, and the teacher says, well, why don't you look for your notes? look at your notes, then the learner's like, okay, I'll look at my notes. So then they go and they look at their notes, they find the answer. So the next time they're stuck, 
their brain goes back to what did I do the first time that I was stuck that was successful? Oh yeah, I asked the teacher what I should do and my teacher told me exactly what I should do. I complied with that and that was successful. And so when we give cues over and over and over again, you're gonna just keep getting, I need help, I need help, help me, what should I do, where should I go? But if you give prompts, what resources do you have? What's a strategy you can use? What have you tried before? What is this similar to? Um, then those are questions that students can own and then self-question in the future so that they can be more independent and rely less on the teacher to tell them where to get the answer. So the, like that kind of, um, that's chapter nine. No, that's powerful, Connie. I didn't, I've never made this connection, but TJ, I and our good friend, uh, Principal L, we do a lot of work on agency. And when you were just talking, I've never connected questioning prompts to agency, but mm -hmm. the way you just described it, my mind immediately went there and how we can teach kids to advocate more for themselves, be more self-reliant, just by the questions we ask them in the classroom and get them to learn different behaviors that help them be more successful independently. So yes. thank you for that. That's, I, I've never had that connection before. I'm gonna splice that out and put it right at the end of the music um, just for anybody who stays and listens to the very end of the podcast. Okay. <laughs>